The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. Christia Donaldson had a plan for her life. She was ambitious, smart, driven. She'd figured she'd get her career launched, and then, when she'd locked down the job and risen to the top, well, then she'd get married, have kids, start living that life she'd been planning since she was very young. And it was going pretty well. She went to Harvard. She got a law degree. She got a great job at a software company, Oracle. She launched a startup of her own, a hair and skin line called Thank God It's Natural. And just when things were really taking off, just then, she got a diagnosis. Breast cancer. Imagine that for a second. Maybe you don't have to. Maybe it's your story, too. In a flash, everything you expect about your future is called into question. I'm like, I could be dying any day. Christia hasn't died. In fact, she's changed the way she's lived. In today's show, she's going to tell us how that illness changed her priorities and showed her a different way to exist. And right now, as we all grapple with the aftermath of an unpredictable world event, a global pandemic, well, right now her story has important lessons for all of us. Here's Christia. I tell people 2015 was the best year of my life and the worst year of my life. On March 1st, 2015, we launched TGIN nationwide in 250 Target stores, which was a huge accomplishment. And then nine months later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer for the first time. And it rocked my world. Tell me a little bit about what happened immediately after you got the diagnosis. Oh, my goodness. How do you begin to process that? For me, it rocked my world. I thought I was going to die. Like, I didn't know anything. I was diagnosed also at a safety net hospital in Chicago. And what I mean like by that is that a hospital that primarily treated uninsured or underinsured women. And so that was eye-opening to be in the company of those individuals and feeling like I wasn't necessarily getting the best health care. I only went there because my gynecologist referred me to go there because she delivered babies there. But in any event, when I got the diagnosis, I immediately took inventory of my situation. I told you I thought I was going to die. And so I was like, I've got to go get the best possible health care available in the state of Illinois. And that took me to Northwestern Hospital on the north side of the city. Chicago's highly segregated and it serves a highly rich or well-to-do clientele. And I was like, this is my my chance. If I'm going to beat this, I've got to go where these individuals go. It sounds like you really had a sense right from the start that you were, you were going to fight to get whatever you needed to try to get better quickly. Yeah. Who was important to you in that journey? Was it school alumni? Was it your community members? Was it family? Yeah, I'm a very private person. So when I was going through this for the first time, it was the kind of thing where I was like very much to myself, but my family was very supportive of me on this journey. And when I got to Northwestern, it was a great team of doctors. But like I said, I realized and had a very unique experience, the disparities and how the outcomes for Black women in particular in the city of Chicago 
Black women are 42% more likely to die from breast cancer in the city of Chicago. But those numbers dropped to 19% in New York and 0% in San Francisco. And the reasons the numbers are so high in Chicago are due to like, you know, systematic and structural issues that create these disparities. So those type of issues became very apparent to me. And so I realized not only how blessed I was, but this experience really changed my life in terms of wanting to be an advocate for those women who didn't have that same luxury. So like I said, I've been diagnosed twice. The first time I came back, I was broken, meaning like I felt like a vase, like someone dropped me on the floor and I had to tape myself back together. It was just so broken. And so I had to figure out what was wrong and how did this happen to me? And I realized stress was a huge contributor to that. It was always in my head that like, I need to slow down, take better care of myself, but things were kind of, you know, taking off at the same time. And then the second time I was diagnosed, I was like, okay, I'm going to slow down. I still slow down. I don't really work that much on Mondays and Fridays. So it's funny that this is hello Monday because I'm chilling on Mondays usually, (laughs) but like I, I realized I had to, I really had to make the slowdown happen. But at the same time, I was at a place in my career where people were like, can you do this? Can you be on this? Can you speak at this? Can you, you know, give a quote to this? And I was torn because it's like, I'm this example of, you know, successful black entrepreneurship, but I'm also like, I just want to like slow down and make sure that I'm okay health wise. And so I'm still trying to kind of balance that. But that's where I am. That's how it's changed me. Yeah. Well, so in between your first and your second diagnosis, you took this trip to Bali that really was a course setting for you. Tell us about that trip. The best trip of my life, if you will. (laughs) So I went to Bali and I've been back a couple of times. I went immediately after completing treatment, like I probably bought a ticket maybe four days before something like that, because I was just like, let me finish treatment and then I'll focus on, you know, my celebration trip. Why Bali? Because I eat, pray, love, because it's like that woman was in crisis and I was like, I don't know what's going on in my life. So I'm in crisis. I'm going to go there. I didn't really know much about the place. I just knew that she went looking to find herself. And so that was what I went to Bali for as well. But in terms of how the trip changed me, like I'm there and I'm like, wow, it's so peaceful. You know, these individuals, they don't have a lot, but they're so happy. This is so in contrast, like you said, into this obsession with making money, but not having the same degree of happiness. I'm like thinking to myself, maybe I should actually move here. So that was always on my mind during the trip. Like maybe I should actually move here. Or maybe I should like, you know, make a major change and give up this, you know, busy life. So on the last day of the trip, I met with this reader that was recommended to me by a friend. And while she was not great at telling my fortune, what she did help me to realize is that it wasn't about Bali the place. It was more about the Bali within. It didn't matter if I moved to Bali because my problems would only follow me there. It didn't matter if I went to Vietnam or South Africa or Scottsdale or, you know, got a condo in South Beach and gave up everything. She was like, if you don't deal with your problems, they will only follow you. And so for me, that advice was life changing. I love that. 
I aspire to that. Um, living in that truth, though, once you get back to Chicago or in my case, Brooklyn, especially Brooklyn during a pandemic with a small child and a very big job, it's hard. Mm-hmm. So how how do you hold that? Well, like I said, creating spaces for silence. I think we're very busy. We're always on our phones. We're always on our computers, especially in the midst of the pandemic. So like after work, turning off, you know, the TV, turning on my music, lighting my candles, carving out days of the week, where it's like, I try not to work. So like I said, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays are usually jam packed. Mondays, I try to kind of reserve for myself. Fridays, I kind of try to reserve for myself, whether that's like, I want to go to get a pedicure, if I want to get acupuncture, if I want to go travel somewhere, but just like being more intentional about my schedule and not just letting my life be swept away by the needs or demands or requests of other people. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Christia shares what she learned about how to plan for an uncertain future. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the LinkedIn Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. My guest today is Christia Donaldson, and she's a person who really thought, like right from the beginning, that she knew what success looked like for her. When I was in my 20s, I thought life was a series, not of boxes, but I think a lot of 20-year-olds think, get married, buy a house, have a kid, you know, do these things, and that things are going to happen in a certain order. And now that I'm in my early 40s, it's like I realized that life is messy. And things may happen, but not like how you thought they were. Like I thought I would be a mom that had a natural birth. Who knows? I might, I might not be. Right now I'm looking at doing foster parenting and seeing if that will work out. My version of what I think of life and how things are going to happen for me, I just have to accept and trust the journey. And it's, especially at this age, it's not going to be me. And so I've accepted that. I love that. It makes me think there's no good time or that any time is a good time to figure out how to be a parent. And 
that, at least for me, I don't know if it feels like this for you, but I had a plan A in my head and Mm -hmm. plan A didn't work out. Plan A never works out. We need to just kind of rip it up, burn it, throw it in the trash, whatever you need to flush it down the toilet. It's just, it just never works out. Life is like, you know, it's, it's never going to work out the way you thought it would, but most times you're going to probably get what you want just not the way you thought you would get it. My wife, I have the greatest wife. I've been married for a little while, but not nearly as long as many of my friends. It took us a long time to to kind of stumble into each other's orbit and an even longer time to commit and decide to spend a life together. And the only reason we could do it is because both of us finally came clean to the other that this wasn't the plan. Like, you're nice, but you are not plan A. You're like plan R, maybe plan Q. (laughs) And once you accept that, then you can be like, wow, plan Q is awesome. In fact, plan Q is better than plan A. Mm -hmm. But it takes a lot of living in life and a lot of faith in life to accept that. I like that you said faith because I think there's a certain amount of surrender that has to happen in order for plan R to even come to you, where you just kind of accept and trust that. It's not in my control. Certain things are not going to be in my control. Certain things I want out of life, and I have to just trust that they're going to happen. So what happened to the business? I mean, you said you stepped back and the company sped up. All of these great things started to happen, and that was a few years ago. I had this very intentional mindset around slowing down, but things didn't necessarily line up that way. We got in a Walmart. I think in in 2018, but there was a lot of traveling and, you know, coming back and engaging with customers. People were happy to see me doing well. And then at the end of 2018, boom, here I am back in the the doctor's office being told that I ha- I'm having a recurrence, if you will. And so that for the business, the first time I, I kind of stopped The second time, my sister basically picked up her life and moved to Chicago, not necessarily to take care of me, but to just kind of be a source of support. And she was like, you got to keep going. I'm like, I could be dying any day. There was a period where I thought like a year where I was like, I'm going to die. That was in the back of my mind. And so it clouded my vision a little bit in terms of how I could think about the company over the next three to five years. I'm like, are you even going to be here? And then there was just a point where it's just like, I kept receiving these signs and things would just be communicated to me that you're going to be okay. You are okay. You know, everything's going to be all right. And, you know, company continues to grow. It's like, I have everything I need. Most people who are sitting in my seat have, you know, received VC funding or, you know, investor funding, outside funding. I've gotten everything pretty much using like a line of credit, which most people wouldn't be able to grow to this level with just like a $500,000 line of credit. So it's been pretty amazing, if you will. And I assume that you left the law job. Oh, yeah. I left the law job right after I came back from Bali. Like I came back from Bali in 2016, and then six months later, I left the law department. When you're forced to confront your mortality unexpectedly, it changes you. 
For a period, you cease to think about the years and the weeks that you have ahead, and instead you live in the moment, the very present moment. But there comes a time when you need to start thinking about the future again. There were moments where I was like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. And what ended up helping me to kind of accept the radical present where there would be situations where it's like, Kobe Bryant died. Okay, what? I'm here. Kobe Bryant's dead. Or like, COVID happens. People are like perfectly healthy or on ventilators. What? And I'm here. It would just be these situations like over and over again like that, where people who were supposed to live and have these like long lives were like gone like that in an instant. None of us know when we're going to go. We have to like wake up every morning and be grateful to be in the land of the living, but it's not guaranteed. That sense of awareness, that sense of being able to accept where I am right now is due to one, me grounding myself in silence and prayer. And then two, the realization, like most of the things that I worry about never really happened. And that acceptance was like what allowed me to be radically present, as you would say. I love that. I love that. And before we finish our conversation, I also want to talk about the work of your foundation because I think it's really cool. So you, through your business, started a foundation to address exactly what you were talking about earlier after your first diagnosis. Tell us about it. Yeah. So like I said, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer for the first time at that safety net hospital, you know, I could see that these women did not have the same opportunities that I had to go to the top hospital on the other side of town, people think like cancer treatment plus cancer equals survivorship. It doesn't. Like getting to the hospital and paying for parking is $12 a day. And if you have to go to the hospital 50, 60 times in a year, that could be an expense that a lot of people are not financially prepared for. Having someone to watch over your child or being able to take a leave of absence or days off for work, those were things that I was able to do that a lot of women are not because they're literally choosing between getting the cancer treatment and keeping their job at Walgreens type of thing. I promised myself the first time if I beat this that I wouldn't stop talking about the financial impact that cancer has and how it can be a barrier to survivorship. I guess, Christia, I thought about the psychic impact it has on your career when suddenly you're needing to deal with an illness and treatment. I hadn't thought about the nitty gritty fallout. How do you get to the doctor? How do you manage your life and all of the expenses that go along with it? It's a lot. It's a lot. And a lot of people don't see that. They just think, oh, you get cancer. It's early stage. It's chemotherapy. You'll be fine. They don't think about all of the financial trauma that people undergo in order to survive this ordeal. And particularly in a pandemic, like, You can't even bring visitors with you to the doctor in most cases or bring them to your chemotherapy appointment. So that creates a further issue for um, a lot of women who are underinsured or uninsured. Well, thank you so much for talking with us about your journey. It's really great to connect. And I want to do it again in a couple of years and see what's changed. Thank you so much. This was great. That was Christia Donaldson. You can learn more about our business and our foundation at christiadonaldson.com. Christia's story 
inspires me. I just keep thinking for myself, well, how am I living right now? And right now, well, it's May 2021. In the U.S., vaccines are now mostly available. New York's opening back up this week. I don't have to wear a mask when I jog. How are you feeling about all of this? Because I'm feeling pretty weird. Please join us this week for a special office hours dedicated to the challenges that arise as the U.S. begins to reopen. We'll be going live this Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern. You can find us on the LinkedIn news page or email us at hellomonday at linkedin.com. We'll send you a link. And I'm really hoping that we can use your thoughts and your questions in a June episode on this very topic. Now, if you like the show, please take a moment right now to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show was produced by Sarah Storm. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Michaela Greer, Samantha Roberson, Carrington York, and Victoria Taylor help us live life to its fullest. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You also heard music from Poddington Bear. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel, and I'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening. I've hit the pandemic wall multiple times. I just hope that by the time this runs, people are going to listen to this and be like, remember back then? And maybe they won't even remember. That would be awesome. I'm glad that I have a reference point of, you know, what life was when I couldn't see my family, when I couldn't hang out with my friends, because I'm hoping on the other side of this, like, I just take those things more seriously and I don't take things like that for granted. Yeah. Amen. Seriously.